0: Philippians chapter four, beginning in verse ten, I think, yeah, ten, and then we'll we'll read right to twenty-three today. Today is the end of our exploration in Philippians. Kind of a sad day. I've really, it's been really good for my heart um, to be in this letter. And then next couple weeks, like I said, we'll preach a few standalones. Dave Cullen. You're still good next week, right, Dave? Sweet. All right, good. Dave's going to preach from Acts, and uh, the week following, we're going to be in the Gospel of John, and then we're going to jump right into a series through James for the summertime. We're going to work our way through James. Uh, that's going to that's be good, too. That's going to be really good. So why don't we pray, and uh, we'll get right down to work. Father, again, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we just finished singing uh, about how you are good to us, but Uh, Father, we confess in many seasons of life, many days, many darker moments, many difficult moments, uh, we all have hearts with remaining rebel tendencies, even though you've adopted us in, you've forgiven us in Christ, um, and we love you, and we have an allegiance to you. It's imperfect, but we do love you as a dad, and we want to be loyal to you, but there are many difficult days where we have hearts that doubt your goodness and your faithfulness, and we doubt... Uh, we doubt the work that's happening inside of us. And we, we just, we doubt we have so many doubts, but, but we believe, and we, we need you to help our unbelief. And we need you to help us allow this to be a place in our family where there's freedom to confess our shortcomings and our doubts and our fears and our rebel tendencies. Um, and run together as family back into your arms receiving mercy. And I pray that as family members confess that there would be that freedom that we would, we would express grace and mercy, not condemnation or guilt or judgment, all of these things that Jesus took in our place. And Holy Spirit, I pray that as we spend time in the word, you would point us to our dad and remind us that he's good and he's faithful. And please point us to our older brother in rescuing King Jesus and remind us that he is good and he is faithful and that we are kept because of him, uh, only because of him. And pre- please bring our hearts to life. And I pray specifically for those who are in here just weary and heavy laden and just beat down, Father, that you would give them life according to your word and through your spirit, by your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Philippians chapter four. Um, So as a young boy, I did not look very much like my dad at all. I disbelieve that you can look at an infant and say, they look so much like mom or so much like dad. They just look like, "Mm." there they are. But I looked nothing like my dad. However, my dad's DNA was firmly implanted inside of my, every cell of my body, right? His blood was coursing through my veins. So as days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into months, and months turned into years, the resemblance between my father and me became increasingly obvious. All ambiguity was removed. Honestly, it's mostly just the nose. But there are other significant features that we share where you could look at him and you could look at me and you would say, clearly those two guys are related. When we were a little younger, living in Pennsylvania, we actually worked for the same company and we'd travel travel around the country and we sold running apparel at marathons and other races. And so we would be working together and it was very common for somebody to come to me and say, hey, your older brother just said this. Or for somebody to go to him and be like, hey, your younger brother over there He just said this. Can you help me? We looked so much alike. Our relationship as a father and a son became unmistakable. Now, our own English language abounds with figures of speech, or we would call them idioms, to express the similarities between parents and children. Can you think of some of them? Like father, like son chip off the old block. So for the ladies out there, like mother, like daughter, right? Same idea. Uh, They're cut from the same cloth. It runs in the blood or it runs in the family, right? We go on and on. There are a whole lot of expressions in our language that talk about the striking similarities between parents and children. Um, Owen, my two-year-old son, is embodying some of these. And uh, just even last, this thing now, while he's sitting in the, in the car seat, which is what we do. I know I said a couple weeks ago, I embrace the Okinawan way. There are car seats in our car. Um, he's sitting there strapped in, and he's, this, this is all he says. Dad, go faster. Go faster, Dad. I'm like, son, we're sitting at a red light. Says, Dad, go faster. And then as we're driving, he's looking out his window, and he's like, Dad, beat them. Beat them. And he's pointing, and that's so cut from the same cloth, for better or worse. Uh, he is definitely my son. The collective thought behind those idioms is this. Here it is, okay? The more you grow... The more you come to resemble your parents in appearance, character, personality, tendencies, really just about everything, okay? The more you grow, the more you grow to resemble your parents in appearance, character, personality, and tendencies. This idea is clearly expressed in the Bible, it's clearly expressed, especially in the book of 1 John. And what it's talking about is this that um, as we grow in maturity, if we are truly sons of God, right, if we've been adopted into the family, sons and daughters, we will, we will grow in likeness to our dad. Here's how John writes it. He says this, 1 John 3, 1 to 3, and then verses 9 to 10. He says, see what, see what kind of love the Father has given to us? that we should be called children of God, and so we are. That's what we are. We're sons and daughters. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, okay? We're, we're, We're kids now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, so we're growing into something. We don't see it clearly yet, but that's where we're going, But we know that when our father appears, we shall be like him. That's maturity, like we will be just like dad because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So two things going on. The father is doing the work to make us like him. And if that's our hope, we are working alongside him. Like, man, I love you, dad. And I wanna grow up and be just like you. So we're working, we're working it too. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. So here are a couple of examples. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. We've got his DNA now, and that DNA is going to be expressed. And he cannot keep sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident, it's obvious, it's unmistakable, it's uncanny, You're going to know who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. John's just saying the same thing. As you grow, you are going to look more and more like your father. It'll be unmistakable. Like father, like son. So our father's DNA, though it's tough to see in infancy, it was hard to see in me as a little kid. My little kids were born, you're like, people always ask, who do they look more like? I don't know, neither of us really right now. But as they grow clearly, look around the room. We have some of our elementary kids in the room today. Like, I love watching you guys grow up around your families. Like, you take on, even if it's not the physical appearance, I feel like I'm talking to your mom or your dad because you take on their character traits too, right? It's both or one or the other, but it happens just like your mom and dad, and someday you'll love that. But as we grow, the similarities increase, and there will be many. So this final section of Philippians focuses, focuses in on just one aspect of our father's character, which will come to be expressed in his kids. Let me read the verse, and let's see if you can kind of guess at what that character trait is, and then we'll talk about it. Verse 19 of chapter 4, Paul says, "...and my God will supply every need of yours." According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And my Father will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What characteristic is that about our Father? What's true about him in that verse? He's generous. We're talking about generosity this morning. We have an immeasurably generous father. You cannot quantify our father's generosity towards us in Christ. You can't. There's not a number that you can attach to this. He's immeasurably generous. And here's what we're going to see. A generous father creates a generous family. Okay. A generous father creates a generous family full of kids who gladly give and gladly receive. And what we're going to see is a generous father creates contented kids, kids who are confident in their father's wise generosity, so confident that when they're not feeling like they're experiencing their generosity, it's not because dad isn't good, it's because dad is wise in the practice of his generosity, and if I don't have it, my dad doesn't think that I need it, and that's good enough for me, I can trust in that. That's what we'll see this morning, an immeasurably generous father, and a generous father creates a generous family, and a generous father creates a family full of contented kids. So let's read Philippians 4, 10 to 23 together. Look for generosity given, look for generosity received, and look for anything that uh, Paul has to say about our dad, and look for contentment. You're going to see some stuff in there about contentment too. Philippians four ten. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you, family, to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves, you know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Paul was not popular in Thessalonica. It would not have been popular to be partnering with Paul at this point. But they stuck with him, is what he's saying. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, And my God, our Father, will supply every, every, every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. I love that sentence because he was locked up by Caesar's household. So what he's saying is there are people in Caesar's family that became Christians and they're saying, hi back now. Like these were enemies and now they're family in Christ. I really like that. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Did you see that in the text? You saw generosity given. You saw generosity received, you saw contentment, and you saw some statements about our about our immeasurably generous father. A generous father creates a generous family full of contented kids and As we grow to be more like our father and learn to trust him as a good good father here 's what 's going to become true of us. three things: we will be an increasingly generous family. This is who we will be if we 're going to look like our dad. We will be increasingly generous. We will receive generosity with gladness, not guilt or shame. Okay, two sides to generosity. We're going to become increasingly generous, but we'll also grow in our ability to receive another person's generosity with joy, gladness. Not guilt, not embarrassment, not shame, no argument at the checkout. That guy. And number three, we will learn to be content in every circumstance. So as we read, we encountered Three characters who embodied each of these statements, and they bring these truths to life for us. The first, we encountered the church in Philippi, and we see in them generosity expressed. That's what we see in them. And then we're reading of Paul. Obviously, it's his letter. And we see in Paul generosity received. So if you need to grow in that area, what it looks like to receive that generosity with joy and not guilt or shame, we see that in Paul. And we also see contentment in Paul. The contentment that comes from trusting a good father who, yes, is generous, and yes, he has all things, but obviously he chooses not to give you all those things, right? He's wise in the application of his generosity. And we see our father who is immeasurably generous, and here's what we see. When we are generous, our generosity is the faintest echo of his. We're just, we're just a shadow of how good our dad is when we are generous, So as we grow to be more like our Father and we learn to trust Him as a good Father, number one, we will be an increasingly generous family. Uh, Just for context, in case this is the first time you're hearing Philippians and you're reading from this letter, here's the background to this letter just in a nutshell. Paul, who is a leader in the church, he he started this church. Uh, He's writing a thank you letter. This, This is a thank you letter. And he's writing it to say thank you to his family in Philippi, specifically because they have always looked after his well-being. They've always, they've always looked after him as a brother. And any time he was in need, they gave generously. In fact, they just sent one of their church members, we read his, his name, it's Epaphroditus. They sent Epaphroditus with yet another gift, and did you see the way Paul talked about it? He called it, a, he called it a full payment, not that they owed him anything, but he's like, it's paid in full, and then what do you say after that? Like, and then some. Like, you guys gave so much, my need is met, and I have extra, I don't even need this stuff. That's how generous you are. So Paul's writing in response to that most recent gift. That's the context or the background of this passage. You really only have to read this one time to get it, that they're like their father already, right? These are kids who've grown enough in the faith so that we can see, like, they've got the ransom nose now. Like, there is an unmistakable connection that, wow, they're related. Like, they're just like their dad in this. They're so generous, just like their father. Uh, Three short phrases stood out to me as I was thinking about their generosity. The first one that I saw in verse 10 was revived concern. The second one I saw was um, shared trouble in verse 14. And the third one I saw was in verses 15 to 16, where Paul says, You had a partnership with me in giving, right? Partnership with me in giving. Let's just look at those briefly. Paul wrote in verse 10, He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Some people say they, they see in that like a little rebuke or like, man, you let your concern fade away. I don't think that's what Paul's saying at all. Like if you read the next verse, it's honestly kind of clear that's not what he's saying because look what he says. He says, um, at length, so it's been a long time, you've revived your concern for me, but then look what he says, you were indeed concerned for me. The concern didn't go anywhere but you had no opportunity. He didn't need anything. So they never grew weary in their concern for Paul, but he didn't need anything from them for a long time. So Paul says, man, I, I rejoiced in the Lord that now at length you have revived your concern for me. That, that word revived in the Greek was a word used of plants, meaning to grow green again, to blossom again, or to sprout again. So man, this is so true in Okinawa, right? Like we don't really do the seasonal thing a whole lot here, but we do. Like there's a time of the year where this island is strikingly green, and there's a time of the the year where it's not strikingly green. Those are our two seasons, Right now we're coming into the strikingly green season. Not that the plants went anywhere. They hadn't gone anywhere. Their roots were still in the ground. It's just a seasonal thing. They were always there, but now is the season for them to blossom and go green again and to give life. It's not that the plant went anywhere. In the right season, it blossoms and then it rests and it prepares for the next season. It gives again, it rests, it restores, it gives again. That's generosity. That's, that's a generous concern. It doesn't go anywhere. It gives, it expresses itself. It's like, okay, I'm all out now. Like that's the end of that season. The need's met and I'm all out. Um, so I rest, not strikingly green anymore. I'm regaining life. I'm restoring. But the intent the entire time is to bloom again or to blossom again the next time there's a season of need. Like, so it's, it's not going anywhere. It's just waiting for the, the right season and restoring so that it's able to give. Paul calls that season opportunity. I love this that Paul does, that Paul calls it opportunity. Paul calls his season of need opportunity. Listen, the gospel changes everything, even our approach to finances, because apart from the gospel, a financial opportunity is a chance for you to do what? What's a financial opportunity? Make money. You make money. That's an opportunity. But in the gospel, a financial opportunity is a chance to give money. It's opposite. That's a financial opportunity in gospel vocabulary. Your life is so reordered around the gospel and so reordered around the father's family that now for you, when everybody else is a talking financial opportunity as an, as an opportunity to advance, for us in this family, a financial opportunity is now to make sure the needs of other people are cared for through our sacrificial giving, generosity. And then Paul says shared trouble in verse 14. He says, man, it was so kind of you to share my trouble. So kind of you to share my trouble. Shortly after I'd got out of the Marine Corps, I think I'd finished college. Linnea and I were living on the south side of Binghamton. Don't live on the south side of Binghamton. Um, An old friend looked me up. He'd gone Army, I'd gone Marine Corps, we hadn't seen each other in seven or eight years, we'd done high school together. I thought he just wanted to confess that to me and see if we could still be friends. Um, Turns out there was more to the conversation than just that. So he's in my living room, we're sitting on our couch, my couches, we're looking at each other, and it turns out he wanted to share something with me. Yes, it was one of those awkward conversations where you thought you were just reconnecting with an old friend, but they had an agenda for the conversation. And it went something like this, John, I'd like to share an opportunity with you. As soon as I hear that sentence, I'm like, please don't share. I don't want your opportunity. He said, I just want to share an opportunity with you Um, because he was on the ground floor of an investment scheme. I'm sorry, strategy, the ground floor of an investment strategy, and he was going to let me in. That's what he wanted to share with me. Guys, in a gospel-shaped family, we share, not... Investment schemes for personal gain, but opportunities for personal giving. That's what we share. That's what we share. We look for opportunities to share in each other's trouble. Paul says this is a kindness. It's a kindness because it's an echo of how the Father shared in our trouble through Christ. We had nothing but need. And we had a father who was generously wealthy, and though we deserve to be left in our need and even receive judgment, he gives from that generosity in Christ, and he gives us of himself. And then every day in our father's family is nothing but the receipt of generosity, more and more generosity. Paul says this is a kindness and he says that we are generous when or we are when we are generous like our father we increasingly look for opportunities to share in each other's trouble your trouble is my trouble outside of the gospel i don't want anything to do with your trouble your tr- you keep that's your trouble you keep it i'll go the other way we we look away you know those moments when eyes lock in a, in a room and you quit, you, you've been staring at this person and all of a sudden their gaze turns to you and you're like, oh, look away real quick. Like I can't let him see I was looking at him. That's what we do with trouble. Like we see it, we know it's there. If the gospel is not shaping us, we do that quick head nod and the, like we, we, we divert the eyes real quick because that's your trouble. I don't want to see it. Guys, in the gospel, we lock, lock gazes, we lock eyes to acknowledge I'm aware of your trouble and God has given me the opportunity to share with you, your trouble is my trouble. And if I can help, I will. Uh, one more phrase that kind of shows us what, in, what it looks like to be an increasingly generous family. Paul says, We're part, you had a partnership with me in giving. Verses 15 to 16, he said, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, right? When Paul was just getting started with this whole church planning bit. And when I left Macedonia, there was not a single church that entered into partnership with me not one, in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. Notice the progression in these two verses. Paul talks about the beginning, and then once again right now, encompassing, just saying, like, man, you guys guys were there at the beginning, and you were there alone and you stuck it out with me even when this is unpopular, that's bold. That's bold generosity. That's you going first, um, not waiting for it to be popular or trending. Nobody else needs to know about the need. Um, it's not trending in social media. There's no hashtag with this. It's just the application of our Christian faith when nobody else sees. We give and we give again and we give again and again. Even if we're the only one giving, it's an enduring partnership. Now, personal confession, because we're big on personal confession and honesty here. Um, I just have to be honest. Like, this passage wrecked me this week, and I I think it was really our Father's providential timing that we would be preaching from this passage uh, this week because, um, well, here's the first reason. Apart from the Spirit, this full confession, I do not tend towards generosity. I am not, apart from the Spirit of Christ, a generous person. I'm not. Nor do I receive your generosity well, apart from the Spirit of Christ. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about that later. The timing piece, though, I was scheduled, I took a trip to Nagoya to be part of a church planning collective. What they did, they're trying to bring leaders, or they're trying to bring church planning movements in Japan together at one table to talk about a collaborative strategy for perpetuating church planting families in Japan. So I was at that meeting this week in Nagoya um, at Christ Bible Institute. Some of you have been, you know of that place. And Moe, one of the missionaries that we've supported for two years, she's in Nagoya right now, just for a couple months. She's been here, but she's getting ready to go to Chicago where she's going to study, be trained theologically, and then come back to Japan to continue her work as a missionary. So part of the purpose of my visit was not only to attend this meeting, but was to sit down with... Moe, and to let her know that now that she's off island and not serving as a missionary here any longer, that we would suspend her, her support, we support her monthly as a church family, that we would cease supporting her, that she could go to school, and if, if she were to come back to Japan, we would support her again. Uh, and so then I read this passage, and I read about this church that was there with Paul at the beginning. And then they gave, and they gave again, and they gave again. And they were the only church, and they were there until the end. And then I tried justifying the conversation that I was going to have with Moe in my head. And in my, like, here are the reasons I need to tell her, tell her this, uh, that we're going to suspend. We need to keep the money here in Japan for people who are living here as missionaries now. Like, here are all my good reasons. And every time I had those reasons, I'm reading this passage, and I'm like, that's a terrible reason. That's just John trying to feel better about telling her this thing. Guys, listen, here's, here's where I am at with my heart. As long as our Father continues to give us the means, and He has given us the means, and He continues to give us the means, we will continue to support Mo- Moe start to finish. It will be an enduring partnership with her. She's there in the States. We are one of only three churches that support her. So she's facing real financial need. Um, she's not going to Chicago to do her. Like she's going to Chicago to be further equipped in the gospels so that you come back to Japan and live more effectively as a missionary, as a, um, as a disciple-making missionary here in. Why would we stop that? Why would we stop that? God's timing was good. And guys, I want to commend you as a family. You are so generous. You are so generous. You give and you give faithfully and you give generously. So Moe is not the only missionaries we support, but how awesome is that now? You've moved around the world. You're in Japan. Um, you're in Japan, and so now you give collectively as part of a family to support a young lady who's been here as a missionary, and she's gonna go back where you wish you were. She's gonna go to Chicago, well, maybe you don't wish to Chicago, but to the States, and she's gonna go study at at seminary to complete her degree and to come back here and live as a missionary, and you get to be part of funding her education. And it's See, this is gospel investment. There will be no personal financial gain for you, so it defies the definition of investment, but this is a gospel investment. We invest into Moe, who will return as a missionary, and she will invest through the gospel in the lives of countless people in her lifetime, people you can invest in because you don't speak the same language, but you have a part in that. It's beautiful and that's gospel investment. And we do the same thing with Joey and Giselle Zarina at the Bridge Fellowship in Japan. We've been partnered with them for two years and it will be an enduring partnership. We will not tap out as, our long, as long as our father gives us the means to support this church planning couple in Tokyo. And then there's GTO You guys give so generously to GTO so that you allow us to gather pastors in Okinawa and provide church planting training and church revitalization training in the gospel. And then there's CBI, Christ Bible Institute in Nagoya, one of the only seminaries that's actively working to train future church planters in Japan. We partner with them monthly. And then there's Pillar Church of 29 Palms in 29... What state is that in? Remember the passage where Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against... It's somewhere near there. And just saying, some of you have been there. And guys, because of your generosity, we are able to partner with them to ensure that there is a gospel-centered church-planting church church right outside of uh, 29 Palms. Can I just say, personally, you have been so exceptionally kind in your generosity towards each of these, we are able as a family to give generously to them. But you have also been so exceptionally kind to my family and for me as we prepare for our summer sabbatical. I don't know who by name has given to us. I just want you to know that up front. Like when, the el- when some of the elders stood up and said, hey, we want to be part of sending the ransoms to uh, the states for a-, a season of rest, um... And many of you have given. We don't know. We don't, and I I don't want to know by name who has has given. But I just know that as a family, you have absolutely blown us away with your generosity. Yeah. So grateful for that. It is so, so life-giving. And as we grow to be more like our dad and we learn to trust him as a good father, we will be an increasingly generous family. And what I'm trying to tell you guys is this. You are. The, the relationship between you and your dad, you've left infancy. It's not ambiguous. It's obvious. It's uncannity. You have the family knows. Like, it's, it's obvious that he's your dad. You are so incredibly generous. You are so much like your father this way. It is unmistakable, and it is so life-giving, and it's only going to increase. It will only become more life-giving. I want to commend you So as we grow in maturity, we as a family will grow to be more like our dad in our generosity. But number two, we will also grow to receive generosity with gladness, not guilt or shame. See, in life, in most seasons we give, the Father gives us the capacity to give. No matter how small our gift may be, in most seasons of life, if you want to give, you've had the means to give. But in some seasons... We need to receive. In some seasons, you have not had the capacity to give and you need to receive. And one of the ways the gospel needs to change our hearts is that we become willing to receive generosity with gladness, not with guilt and shame or embarrassment. Paul shows us what that looks like. He says in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord. So for Paul, generosity received is an opportunity to express joy to Jesus, not embarrassment, Not guilt, not shame, not, ah, this is awkward. But, man, guys, thank you for your generosity. Your gift to me, Paul said, immediately turned my heart to Christ and stirred joy in my heart. And that is a life-giving gift. In verse 14, he said, it was a kindness that my troubles were shared. Generosity is kindness from our father extended to us from our father's kids. That's a sacred thing, guys. Generosity is a kindness from our dad. But that generosity flows through other kids in the family, and we get to participate in that, in the giving and the receiving. That is a sacred and beautiful thing that puts the gospel and our Father's good character on full display. Later in the passage, we learn in verses 17 and 18 that generosity is an act of worship. When our family members give, it's an act of worship. Paul said in verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Guys, look at this. This is this is sobering. This is a sobering in a a good way, a, a beautiful way. This is humbling. When you receive generosity from a family member, you are benefiting from their worship of our Father. That's what's happening. The problem is that pride prevents many of us from receiving generosity with gladness or joy where the worship is completed because they're giving to you as a brother or sister out of worship for their dad. They love their father. They want to obey their dad. They want him to get the credit. And so they give, that's worship. And then we're receiving this generosity and we are given the opportunity not only to help them worship, like to be a part of that, but then in turn for our hearts to worship our Father because we receive that gift. And rather than arguing with it or trying to decline it, or trying this false humility gig, we can just say thank you and turn to our dad and express that joy to him and then express the joy uh, to our siblings. And we too, then we are given this opportunity to worship our dad, but pride prevents so many of us from receiving that generosity. As we grow in the gospel, guys, as we grow to understand who our dad is and, and, and how generosity, the role that it plays in our family, We'll learn not to argue the next time that somebody tries to give to you, even when you don't need it. You'll learn not to argue, we learn not to reject, and we learn to receive and to, to, to receive with gratitude to the person giving and to our Father who is showing his generosity to us. So I have to, again, we're all in favor of personal confession. Let me just confess personal sin here. I'm one of those arguers. I do tend to reject that offer. And sometimes it's just like, it's because it's the thing to do. Like, you just have to, you know, you're there and somebody wants to show generosity. Like, no, 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 no. I was going to get it. No, you weren't. No, no, you weren't. Okay, no, I wasn't. Sorry. I didn't mean, to, like just me. Um, I only struggle with that. And so, and so rather than just receiving and being grateful and worshiping our father in that we argue, we tend to reject We don't receive it. Have have you ever been in that moment where somebody tried to give and you're like, no, I got it. And you shut it down? Do you know that's a sin that we need to confess of? That's a sin. That's an act of rebellion against our dad who's working to show us kindness through somebody else and we've not had the humility to receive that good gift. I have a lot of sin to confess here. Um, Again, just back to the sabbatical thing without belaboring that point. When I started talking about it with the elders, they're like, John, you're gonna need help to do this like, no, I don't. I got this. I can provide for my family. I don't need, yeah, I can't afford that. Wow. And so the elders came back and said, well, we want to give you a, a small amount, um, but then we want to open up to the church family to give to you. And I'm like, no, that we shouldn't do that. That's not a good idea. Um, I wouldn't be comfortable with that just to make it like more, sp- I wouldn't be comfortable with that so they pressed why why wouldn't you be comfortable with that and they just they wouldn't let me go and they started question started asking questions that got to my heart and peeled back the layers where all I had all that I had left was sin to confess pride and unwillingness to receive an unwillingness to acknowledge need um, and a tendency to want to say no we can do this like we can do this God will make a way and they're like, yo, like, we, like God, we are the way. that God is like, we're the way. We're the family. You're part of the family. Be humble and receive. So I want to confess that sin. That is one of the sins in my own heart as it relates to generosity. And, um, and so for those of you who are, in your, who are here in this room who are part of that conversation and push back on me and expose that in my heart, I just want to thank you for exposing um, really that rebel tendency in my own heart. Thank you. So as we grow to be more like our dad, we will, be in, we will become an increasingly generous family. We will learn to receive generosity with gladness and worship, not guilt or shame or embarrassment. And number three, we will learn to be content in every circumstance. We will learn to be content in every circumstance. That's what Paul said. He said, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He could say that because he had learned to trust the wise generosity of his father. Like really trust him. Like, really, really, really trust your dad. Like, the trust when you were a kid and you would jump from something that if you jumped alone, you would really hurt yourself. But dad was there and he caught you. Like, that trust that your kids express towards you now. Look what Paul says in verses 11 to 13. He says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's the verse everybody in the room knows. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this verse right here is ripped from context and misapplied more than any other verse I know of, almost, I guess, maybe more than any other verse in scripture. I'm not a hater. I just want to give a couple examples, okay? Here's the first one. Sorry if you're from Florida. There it is. Um, You all know who that is, right? Oh, okay, all right. Sorry, I, that's right. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have assumed this. So this is a guy named Tim Tebow. He is kind of the face of evangelical Christianity in the football world or in the sports world. So he would very frequently paint uh, underneath his eyes this reference, Philippians 4, 13. Um, I have nothing but respect for Tim Tebow. So I'm not, I'm not picking on him. I'm just like, this is one of the ways it kind of becomes this cultural icon for Christians. And it becomes this verse to express, I can win a national championship Um, I can win a football game. I can, and I'm not, I don't know his heart. And knowing him based on his character and his public testimony, there's probably a whole lot of depth to why he has that on his eyes. So again, I'm not picking on Tebow. Here's another example. Um, Steph Curry um, said, it represents a Bible verse I wear on my shoes. Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through Christ who, who strengthens me. It's also my mantra. It's how I get up for games and why I play the way that I do. Um, I think that was the only one. Is there one more, guys? No, okay. Guys, Paul is not talking about the ability to do whatever you want to do. He's just not. Uh, Let me ask you a question Who is the only one that can do whatever he pleases? If you grew up in the catechisms, you know the answer to this question. Who is the only one who can do whatever he pleases? God, the Father, he alone can do, he has the, that's what makes him God. Like he, as God, can do whatever he pleases at any time. The rest of us are created with serious limitations for our good, for your good, guys. You can't quote this Bible verse and jump off of China Pete's and fly. You can't do it. Like there are serious limitations for your good and for our Father's fame. The limitations that you have as a created being exist to make you exercise your dependence upon your creator and to give our Father the glory that he deserves. So this is Paul, not Paul talking about the ability to do whatever you wanna do, you can't, and I'm sorry, and you can come at me later, and I love Tim Tebow, and, well, I'm not rooting for Steph Curry. I hope his team loses in the playoffs, but I have, I have mad respect for him as a man. The word translated content means self-sufficient here in this passage. It means, like at the core, it means self-sufficient. It was actually regarded by the Stoics as a high... Stoicism was a big deal when the New Testament was written. And some of you think you're Stoics. You, you actually practice Stoicism, whether you know it or not. Some of you know it and you think you're Stoics. Well, We can talk about that later too. But, but this idea of self-sufficiency was regarded by the Stoics as a high virtue to be detached from outward circumstances and to have resources in yourself to meet every situation. Paul takes this word from Stoicism. He's not a Stoic. He's not aligning. He rips it from the Stoic's hands, and he, says, he uses this word in the sense of his being independent of circumstances too, just like them, but not because he is self-sufficient, but because he is absolutely dependent upon Jesus and the Father's generosity. Paul was not a Stoic, neither was Jesus. We are not Stoics, we're followers of Jesus, we're Christians. And so we're not talking about contentment because I'm self-sufficient. We're talking about contentment because I am confident in my Father that He will give me what I need in Christ. And what do I need most in Christ? I need His strength. I need his strength to uncurl my fingers and extend an open hand to my father, not a fist or a closed hand, hand, to extend open an open hand, an open hand that is willing to give in seasons of plenty, acknowledging that my dad has given me so many good gifts for me to enjoy, yes, but also to steward for the good of others, an open hand. My father wants me to extend an open hand to him, not a closed hand, an open hand, not just to give in seasons of plenty, but to receive from him and from others in seasons of need. He's giving me the strength in Christ to crush my pride. He's giving me the strength in Christ to open my hand and receive generosity in seasons of need. That's what he's talking about when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. I can give. I don't need that. I can let it go. The Father gave it to me to enjoy. I can let it go for for His fame and for your good. And I don't have to be proud in my season of need. Christ strengthens me. He uncurls my fingers and He helps me open my hand to my dad so that I can receive, not from Him mysteriously. The receipt is going to come through the family to have the humility to receive. And I receive strength in Christ to go without, trusting that my dad is good and my dad is generous, and my dad is wise, so he will give me what I need, not necessarily what I want. He will give me, he will give me strength in Christ, and this is what Paul is talking about when he writes that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We can do these things. We can give We can give when we don't want to. We can receive when we don't want to. And we can be content when we're going without because we learn that Christ is what we need and he's all that we need. And when we give, our generosity is the faintest echo of his. He is the source. And our contentment, guys, our contentment is one of the surest signs that we are growing to know and trust our good Father. That's, the, that's, 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 that's where the ambiguity fades away and we're like, oh man, you look so much like your dad. Not just the generosity given, but the ability to receive and the ability to be content in seasons where we go without. And it's all rooted here, verses 19 to 20. Paul says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory. This is all for his glory forever and ever, amen. As his kids, we are confident that he will continue to be generous towards us because of his past generosity. He has already provided for us in Jesus. This is what Paul opens the letter with. He says, he started a good work in you. That was a, that was a work of generosity. He gave mercy when we deserve judgment. He has begun a good work in you. And Paul has in mind his present generosity. Our father not only has provided in Christ, he is providing. You know what Romans 8.32 says about our father's generosity? Listen to this. Paul writes, "...he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all thanks?" We have an immeasurably generous father and his past generosity gives us confidence that he will, he will show that generosity now and in the future he will provide. He said the good work that he's started in you, he will bring it to completion. He will, he will show generosity in us until the work is done. So let's wrap this up and in wrapping this up, let's do a little diagnosis of our heart through the gospel. So I've already confessed that I don't tend towards generosity, right? In that confession for most of my life, I have attributed it to personality, my personality. Really, you could probably attribute it a little bit to my gender and what I saw in my dad growing up and my grandfather growing up. And so my idea of what it looks like to be a man as it relates to generosity, I could attribute it to family of origin. I could attribute it to some of my Dave Ramsey learning right? Any Dave Ramsey people in the room? All right. Yeah, no haters. I'm not hating. Um, But we can't, whether we've been mentored by like a Dave Ramsey system or any other system, we can't attribute my tendency towards or away from generosity to personality, gender, family of origin, or anybody else that's discipled me up. When I am not being generous, It is most simply a gospel deficiency in my own heart. That's what it is. I cannot dismiss his personality. I cannot blame on family of origin. Those are just straight up gospel deficiencies. It looks like this. I don't know my father like I think I do in my heart. I don't know him like I think I do. I don't love him like I think I love him. I'm not believing that he's good like he says he is. I'm not believing that he will provide for all of my needs like he says he will because I need to wrap my hands around whatever I have to make sure that I have it later. My life has not been or is not being shaped by his generosity. Maybe I don't trust his wise generosity. Maybe I'm too busy uh, living like no one else now so I can give like no one else later when really the gospel would have me live like no one else now so that I can give like no one else now, not later. Maybe. Maybe I'm too busy doing rich people things so I can be rich people later when the gospel really wants me to be doing generous people things so I can be a generous person now like my dad now, not later. Like, there's always gospel urgency now. The, following Jesus, not doing a bunch of things so that I can be this Christian later. It is by faith, trusting that my dad is good, he's generous, he's wise, and I'm going to be like my dad, and I'm going to be generous, and I'm going to learn to receive generosity. And so really what we're left with at the end of a passage like this is just the opportunity for us to talk to Jesus and ask him to change us. That's all I can do, is to look to Jesus and say, Christ, please make me more like my immeasurably generous dad. Jesus, help me to believe that my father is good, especially when I'm going through seasons of need and I'm doubting that he's good to me. Jesus, incline my heart to receive another person's generosity with joy, knowing that it's an act of worship and an opportunity for me to participate in that worship. Please remove the shame and remove the guilt and remove the embarrassment. Jesus, please uncurl my fingers and open my hands so that, we, so that I become a son to my Father who increasingly gives and receives without guilt or shame. But full of joy for your fame and for the good of my brothers and sisters in this family. Let's pray that together uh, this morning. Father, we thank you that you are immeasurably generous. Jesus, you're a demonstration of that generosity. You gave of yourself so that we could be forgiven and given an entrance into the family. And Holy Spirit, you remind us of that. You apply that generosity every moment of every day. And Father, I stand here with my family, humbly confessing that there is a deep gulf, there is a gap between my practice or my profession and my practice. I know I'm your son, but I know I have, I have so far to go, to grow, to be more like you and being a generous son. And Father, to believe that you are good and to receive generosity from other members of the family. So I confess these sins And I ask Jesus that you would change my heart, make me more like my dad, make me more willing to receive. And Father, as you shape our hearts collectively through the gospel, may our church family come to be characterized by an increasing, immeasurable generosity for our dad's fame, for the good of his family, and for the good of those outside the family who have not yet been adopted in yet. And Father, we thank you most that in your generosity, you don't kick us out of the family, Because if you were not generous, your patience with us would have dried up a long time ago, and I would have been long gone, kicked to the curb as such an imperfect son. But in your generous, immeasurable grace, you keep me by by your side. You are more committed to making me like you than I am committed to growing up to be like you. You will never let me go. You will never let a single one of your sons or daughters go. And we thank you for this generous grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh,